www.ltd.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. You're listening to an encore presentation of Pilgrim's Progress. We will not be taking calls today. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Thank you for joining me today. I've been considering an issue, probably the single greatest issue of spiritual life I've had to deal with in my life. Probably the greatest temptation, should I put it that way? We all know that Jacob means heel grabber. And we can read the story of Jacob as he struggles. He struggled in the womb with Esau. His mama went to the Lord and said, what's going on? And and she told him, or he told him, two nations struggling in your womb. The younger is going to rule over the older. This issue of heel grabbing. And I began to read just not for the broadcast, but I guess I call it recreational reading. I love to read the Word of God. And so I was just reading again the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it suddenly dawned on my consciousness that Abraham was a heel grabber. That Abraham, time after time, reached out with his hand to take what he wanted. He obeyed the Lord and and came part way to Cana land. The Lord told him, don't bring your family. But he brought his family. And that ended up hanging him up outside of the promised land with his dad. So in the midst of this, he's not doing what God asked him to do. But finally, he moves on to the promised land. He arrives in the promised land and then discovers that there's a famine there. And he moves on toward the Negev and finally goes to Egypt. He doesn't stay where God sent him. He wants to reach out for prosperity. He wants to reach out and be successful. He wants to have his lifestyle. And so he goes to Egypt. There he's shamed. He's cast out because he deceives Pharaoh. He lies about his wife. Again, he's reaching out to take care of his security. And then finally, now Sarai, 
Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant. <clears throat> Her name was, <clears throat> pardon me, Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. In other words, God is not doing what God said he was going to do. And so it's up to me to make happen what I need to have happen because God's not going to make it happen. So Abram agreed. After he'd been living in Canaan land for 10 years, Sarai, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. How do you sleep with an Egyptian maidservant in order to be productive? Because you think God has not shown up for you. Well, you do that when you have a heel-grabbing heart. Abraham was a heel-grabber, grabbing for the woman that would give him a baby, not believing the word of God. And so God had to discipline Abraham, gave him the covenant of circumcision, came and sat and talked with him, counseled him, then he goes to Abimelech, and he does the same thing all over again. Once more, he reaches out and grabs for his security. The Lord comes, and he says, no, you're going to have a son. And that son's going to come by Sarai. And he will be the son of promise. And so finally... Isaac, meaning laughter, is born. And then we come to chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. The Septuagint says, Sometime later, God pierced Abraham. Or, in the Hebrew, sometime later, God lighted Abraham up like a banner. In other words, God was going to give a public demonstration now of his servant at the end of his life so that everyone could see that he has passed the course. Well, what's the course that he must pass? And, and please, my brother, my sister, this is the same course that every one of us has to pass if we're going to enter into the kingdom of God. It is the final exam. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. No longer a heel grabber. He doesn't grab at his son and say, I must have Isaac. 
we now find Abraham coming to the end of his life and everything is laid on the altar of burnt offering. Everything is laid on the altar for God. That's why he passed the test. Listen. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven the second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. In other words, because you have not reached out to grab for yourself what you think you want. Instead, you have laid it on the altar. You have given everything to me, Abraham. And now I'm going to give everything to you, Abraham. And then he sends someone, a servant, to find a wife for his son Isaac. Abraham is no longer grasping. He sends great riches to find the wife, the bride price. Abraham is now a different man. He's no longer grabbing for life. He's no longer grabbing for his son. He's no longer grabbing for money. He's no longer grabbing for anything but God. Do you understand? This is a test that every one of us must pass if we are going to enter into the kingdom of God in the final day of judgment. Everything must be given into the hand of God, and the grabbing must stop. And I confess freely to you, I have been for many years in my life a heel grabber, grabbing at opportunities, grabbing at possibilities, grabbing what I needed for myself and what I thought would work for me. And God has been breaking that in my heart. I pray today that I am an overcomer. I won't say that I have fully overcome until I cross over. But I pray today that the grabbing spirit of my heart has finally been broken. And the grabbing spirit in my heart was finally broken when Jan died, when my sweetheart died. I knew I had to release her into the hands of God. I could not cling to her I could not keep her from dying. I had to give her to Jesus. And then after she died, in my loneliness, I began to try to reach out again. And every time I did, God made it explode in my face. And now I don't reach out anymore. I don't look for a wife. I look for Jesus. I don't grab onto a car 
I don't grab onto a house or clothes. I want Jesus. But let me show you. Isaac was also a grabber. Isaac was a heel grabber. When Jacob deceives him, he gives Jacob no money, no camels. He gives him nothing to pay a bride price. He's angry. He's angry that his wife and his son have tricked him and gotten the blessing that he was trying to give to Esau, even though he knew it was not God's will that he give it to Esau. It was very clear that Jacob was the man that the Lord had chosen for the birthright blessing. The angel of God had prophesied it before he was born. But Isaac did not want to give the birthright to Jacob. The scriptures say because he had a taste for wild game. And Esau was extremely bitter because of the blessing. We sometimes think Esau was bitter because the birthright was stolen from him. No, that's not really what the issue was about. He held a grudge against his brother Jacob because his father had blessed Jacob and said, He would rule. And he'd said to, to Esau, your brother will rule over you. Esau didn't want anybody to rule over him because he too was a heel grabber. Esau was grabbing for whatever he could get a hold of. He was the man. He lived by the sword. So Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. Three generations of heel grabbers. And God has to deal with it. God has to deal with a heel grabbing spirit in me, in you. God chose to deal with the heel grabbing spirit. In Jacob by sending him to Uncle Laban, who was twice the heel grapper that Jacob was. So Jacob got his medicine twice over. He falls in love with the beautiful Rachel, works seven years, day and night, taking care of the sheep. If a sheep died or a lamb died in birth, Jacob had to pay for it. Uncle Laban was the ultimate heel grabber. He loved his family, but they had to do and produce what he wanted them to do and produce. So he gives Leah the one who had poor eyes and not very pretty. 
He tricks Jacob and gives Leah. And Jacob is angry. He has not gotten what he wanted. He's been deceived by a heel grabber that's even better than he is. He works another seven years for Rachel. Fourteen years. Hard labor for a wife. How long did his daddy work for a wife? Not for one minute. Abraham paid everything. Isaac paid nothing. Creates bitterness. And now he's worked for 14 years. Finally, he begins to get a regular income. Certain sheep and certain goats will belong to him. But finally, the Lord said to him in Genesis 31, verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. Now, instead of going to his father-in-law and saying, the Lord has spoken to me, and has told me that I'm to go back home, he acts like a sneak and a thief. He's still the heel grabber. You understand? He's worked for 14 years for his two wives. He's worked for another six years to get a little bit put aside. And in all of that hard, bitter labor, the heel grabber has never been broken. Some of you have worked for years, been defeated, lost your jobs, spent a great deal of time feeling mistreated. You're still a heel grabber. And when your expectations are not met, you have accusations against God and against others, and there's bitterness in your heart because you're a heel grabber. You're not getting what you want. And obviously, it's someone else's fault. It's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. If they just treated you fairly, everything would work. But people aren't fair, and you're angry. Heel grabber. You know why Jacob was called heel grabber? Because he was the second one out of the womb, and he was holding on to the heel of his brother, as he was birthed. But it was an apt description of the whole family. It was a heel-grabbing family. Grandpa, Dad, Jacob, all heel-grabbers. Now the Lord tells him to go back home. So Jacob sends word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were, and he said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it has been. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. So he asks the, the wives, are you 
willing to go back with me. And they're angry. They say, God has taken away your father's livestock, or he says, God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. And he talked about how he, how he dealt with trying to reach out and grab for the most sheep that he could grab. And Rachel and Leah, they answer him, do we still have a share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you to do. In other words, we don't care about dad anymore. He can't do anything for us. There's nothing more we can grab from dad. So we'll go with you because you have all the money. So Jacob puts his his children and his wives on camels, and he drives his livestock, takes all of his goods, his servants, and he heads for the land of Canaan without saying a word to his father-in-law. He's sneaking off like a thief. Well, Rachel also stole her father's household gods. So now they're thieves and liars. They're heel grabbers. But God came to Laban in a dream at night and said, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. In other words, keep your hands off him. He's mine. And finally, Laban catches up with him. It was on the third day. He says, what have you done? You've deceived me. You've carried off my daughters like captives in war. You see, Laban doesn't like to be lied to, but he'll lie to anyone. Laban doesn't like to be deceived, but he's a deceiver. That's one of the characteristics of heel grabbers. They want to grab what they want to grab, but they get angry if anyone tries to grab anything from them. So they're very defensive on one side and very active on the other to get what they want. I understand that. I've been a heel grabber most of my life, even as Abraham was, even as Isaac was, and certainly as Jacob was. He says, why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing the music of the tambourines and the harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You've done a foolish thing, and I, I have the power to harm you. But last night the God of your father said to me, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you've gone off because you longed to return to your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? And Jacob answers. He says, I was afraid. I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. I was afraid. Well, often heel grabbing comes out of an inner fear. we reach out to try to take what we want because we believe God is either not giving it to us or we believe that nothing's going to happen if I don't make it happen. 
you know the old saying, if it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. No, if it's going to be, it's up to God, not me. Is this a bridge that you've had trouble crossing? Have you considered this before? Do you see how you and your life have always been reaching out to take that plum that you desired? Reaching out, trying to win that prize. Reaching out, trying to take that, that friendship. Trying to reach out and take that glory to yourself. Trying to be in charge And the result is that God is far distant. It seems that he doesn't speak with us. Our hearts are often found then cold toward him. An indifference to prayer. If you're indifferent to prayer, if you don't spend significant time every day praying, it's because you're a heel grabber and you've grabbed all you need, or at least what you think you need to survive, so you don't need to pray. You can get it for yourself, thank you very much. Are you a heel grabber? This really is the, the very heart of the issue. Jesus laid his life down for his people. He didn't, he didn't grab at God. Let me just try to very quickly turn to that passage of Scripture and, and read it for you. It's found in the book of, of Philippians. It's often referred to as the cascade of God's love. Let me read it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, having been made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we find Jesus, he's fully God. Jesus is fully God. He's as much God as God the Father is. He's as much God as God the Holy Spirit is. He is equal in power and authority to both. We believe in one God who expresses himself in three persons. You understand, before, before Jesus came to this earth and died, he was not called the Son of God. He was God. God manifest himself in the form of a man, born of a woman. He didn't consider Godhood something to be grasped after. But he came and became a man. 
He could have come as a king. He could have come as the emperor of Rome and totally turned Rome around. But he didn't. He came to a captivated people, a persecuted people, a suffering people called Jews, the people of God. He came to these people, and he was born as a man. But he he could have been born as the high priest. He could have been born as a wealthy man. But no, he was born to a tradesman, to a carpenter. I love that that bumper sticker that we see every once in a while. My boss is a carpenter. Jesus did not consider being royal or being important or being moneyed something that he would grasp after. The scriptures tell us he was a man of sorrows. His heart was pierced. And then he came as a nobody and was baptized by John. And John felt so comfortable in the presence of Jesus, even knowing who Jesus was. He tried to persuade Jesus not to be baptized. Can you believe that a man, John, knowing that it was the Son of God, would try to tell God what to do, knowing that this was fully God coming to save the world, and he's trying to tell God how to save the world. Such incredible arrogance on John's part. He tried to deter him from being baptized. Jesus is baptized. He often slept outside. He walked wherever he went. He could have ridden in a gilded chariot with an entourage of soldiers following him. Instead, he walked with 12 simple men and women. The women followed, and they cooked for him. They, they cared for the men. They were servants. Jesus set a pace that said, everybody who's going to come with me is going to be a nobody. Judas didn't like that much. And after three years, Judas said, I've had it. I'm going to force Jesus' hand. I'm going to force him to be somebody. Or else he better die. I'm not going to waste my life with this man. We're just foolish. We're fooling around. This is my life. And Judas grasped for it, and he took that silver. And he watched as Jesus was taken to die. And he went out and hung himself. Jesus could have died the death of a soldier with honor. 
Instead, he died condemned as a traitor. He didn't die with dignity. He died stripped and hung on a cross. He died naked before the world, shamed. A sign above his head, this is the king of the Jews. Shaming the Jewish people. And yet no man in the history of the world has had such a profound impact on the entire world as this man, Jesus. He did not grasp at being God. He willingly laid his life down without pride. He laid his life down. When we come back to the story of Jacob, Laban leaves, and now Jacob prepares to meet Esau. As he's on the way, the angels of God come and they meet him. They greet him. They speak with him. And Jacob sees this and he says, this is the camp of God. Now he sends messengers to his brother, saying them, your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats and men servants and maidservants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. Well, why did he do that? Because he knew he had stolen the birthright and he wanted his brother to know that he was not coming back to Cana land to claim the birthright material possessions, saying, I already have enough, brother. And now he thought, this is Genesis 32, verse 8. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So he, he divides his family into two groups. Esau is on his way. He has 400 armed soldiers with him. In that day, that was a powerful army. Jacob prays, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. Oh, there's a little bit of humility. Woo! You catch that. He humbled his heart just a shade. He says, I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan but now I've become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. And he separates out selected gifts for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 
10 bulls, 20 female donkeys. This is a fortune. This is literally thousands and thousands of dollars worth of livestock. And he tells them, each group, keep a space between you so that when my brother sees these animals, he'll say, wow. Hoping that his brother's Esau, that his brother Esau's heart will be softened and opened. He instructs each group to say the same thing. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I'm sending on ahead later. When I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Now let's, let's look at the issue. He prays this very humble prayer. And then he reaches out and grabs to try to make peace with his brother. He doesn't trust the Lord. How many times I've sat in a, in a church meeting where we have prayed for the Lord's guidance and direction and then done exactly what we thought we needed to do in order to survive, in order to prosper as a church. How many times as a person have you prayed about a job, or prayed about something that you need. And then because you believe God is not going to answer, you get into gear and go do it yourself. You grab for it. You grab for what you think you need and what you think you don't want because you can't trust that God is going to do it for you. Sometimes I think we believe that God is a toothless old grandpa doting on grandchildren sitting up in the sky on some cloud. I can tell you today, God is not an old toothless grandpa. And he's not sitting up on a cloud somewhere. And he's not sentimental. Well, we see that now in Jacob's life. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he'd sent them across the stream, he also sent over all of his possessions. And now Jacob is left alone. And the startling statement is made, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. To tell you the truth, Jacob need not have any fear of his brother Esau. God was the one to be terrified of. God was the enemy who came in the night to fight with Jacob. Finally, God says, the only way I'm going to settle this man down and stop him from being the heel grabber is if I go and actually grab a hold of him and put him on the ground and force him to say, Uncle, and it was very physical. Jacob was a very powerful man. Physically, very powerful. Strong as an ox. And this man in the dark grabs a hold of him while he's trying to pray. I tell you what, sometimes 
I need God to just come and grab a hold of me when I'm praying. It's been said by some, God is not a tame wolf. God is not a pet. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And they fight. You can hear the blows in the night. You can hear the thudding of the body. They struggle. And the man saw that he could not overpower him. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with a man. So they're fighting and fighting and fighting. The Lord God of heaven is trying to exhaust Jacob. Trying to get him to a place where he'll finally stop grabbing for success. Stop grabbing for the comforts of life. Stop grabbing for his own goals and his own desires. God wants him to have a hold of himself. God wants Jacob to grab a hold of God. And in the dark, without even knowing it, Jacob has grabbed a hold of God. Now, a couple of things happen when you grab a hold of God. First, you're disabled. You're disabled when you grab God. You, you no longer are good for yourself. You're only good for God. You no longer are the man or the woman. You no longer can make everything happen. You no longer have the skills and the ability to get along without God. You've grabbed God, and God now lets you see how crippled you are. And then God said, let me go. Let go of me. And Jacob replies, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I love this. Jacob has grabbed for money. Jacob has grabbed for security. Jacob has grabbed for women. Jacob has grabbed for children. Jacob has grabbed for everything all of his life, but suddenly now he has grabbed for God, and God has him. And his own ability has been removed. And all Jacob can say is, I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. But there is something that must happen before God can bless him. There is something that must happen in your heart before God can bless you. You must get this. If you miss this, I will have wasted my time with you today. There is something very specific that God is after. 
And until he gets this from you, the heel-grabbing spirit of your heart will not be broken, and you will not trust in the living God of heaven. God asks Jacob, what is your name? Do you remember the last time Jacob was asked by someone, what is your name? He answered Esau. He lied. In order to grab what he wanted, he lied about his name. And now he is asked the question once more, this time by God himself, what is your name? Jacob, heel grabber, he answered. Until we're willing to admit to God the truth about ourselves, until we're willing to tell God exactly who we are, until we're willing to say to the Lord God of heaven, I am a heel grabber. You will not hear God say to you, your name will no longer be heel grabber, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Israel means overcomer. You will not be an overcomer in Jesus Christ until you stop grabbing even for salvation and admit honestly before God who you are and what the spirit of your flesh is and the spirit of your flesh and my flesh is identified as heel grabber. God had to take Abraham through such, such testings that finally he would not answer, I am a heel grabber because I have become an overcomer. There was a name change. When he offered his son on that altar burnt offering, he no longer was grasping for his son. He gave his son to God and God said, okay, now, Untie your son. And there God provided a sacrifice. It's the mountain where God provides. If you want God to provide for your life, you're going to have to first get on your face before God and come to terms with the reality of your heel-grabbing nature. And once you're willing to admit that heel-grabber nature, God's willing to call you an overcomer. God is willing to call you an overcomer. And Jacob, speaking about this, said, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And as the sun rose, he went out to meet his brother Esau with his 400 armed soldiers, and he was limping. He was not striding out in the power of 
of Jacob. He was limping. And when he saw his brother, he fell down on the ground. There was no arrogance left in Jacob. There was no pride left in Jacob. He'd been through 20 years of bitter labor, and that didn't break the spirit in his heart of heel-grabbing. But one night of prayer, he finally came to terms with who he really was. And God said, okay, now I'll make you into an overcomer. No more heel-grabbing. And so he bows before his brother as tears flow down his face. And his brother leaps from his mighty horse, runs to his brother, picks him up. They embrace with tears. Reconciliation cannot happen as long as we're heel grabbers. As long as we're still trying to grab for the shreds of our dignity. We're trying to grab for our security. We're trying to grab for what we desire. We're trying to grab to be somebody. God can't do anything for us. It's going to take that night of prayer where we finally are willing to say to God, I'm a heel grabber, oh God. I'm a heel grabber. And the tears flow. And the hand of God moves on us in such a way that we're forever undone in the natural realm. From that day forward, we only want Jesus. We cling to Jesus. We hang on Jesus. And his blessing is upon us. And he calls us overcomers. In the New Covenant, it's called denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus to Golgotha, where you are crucified with Christ and where you walk through the cross to the other side. Many of you have stayed always on the wrong side of the cross because you've never been willing to be crucified at the cross. You've been willing to kneel at the cross, but you haven't been willing to be crucified at the cross and then pulled through the cross, that narrow gate, pulled through with Jesus to a resurrection of overcoming and victory and joy and life in Jesus. How is it with you today? Are you still a heel grabber? Or are you an overcomer? Are you a so-called sinning Christian or have you left your sin behind? Have you finished with it? And now do you cling to your Savior? Well, we're out of time for this broadcast. I'd like to pray for you in just a moment. But I'd like to invite you to be very bold in the giving of tithes and offerings to support this radio broadcast each day. This month is going to be soon passed. 
we still have a great amount of money that needs to come in to cover the cost of this broadcast. If you would make out a check or a money order or send cash to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to come and worship together with the National Prayer Chapel. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church, and it's located on Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. You're also welcome to go to our our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Let's pray. Lord, I plead that you will bring each person listening into that place of doing battle where finally we are willing to admit who we really are, that you could give us the new name of Overcomer. Lord, would you minister to each person today? Would you expose fully the heel-grabbing nature that we possess or have possessed and make us into new people? By the blood of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory.